I met John Bowen a number of years ago. He was a student at the college that I graduated from, and I worked there for a number of years as well, but John wasn't there when I was working for the school or attending. He was a student later on. I'd gone back to speak for an event. I don't remember what it was, but that's when I first met John. In an interesting turn of events, he ended up coming to work at the same church I was at in Missouri, and so we got to know John a little bit better. And in a truly interesting turn of events, he bought the house that Tina and I were living in when we moved to Montana. So we've kind of stayed connected with him, and Facebook has made that a lot easier. John is really, more than anything today, my Facebook friend. He put a post on this past week that was really intriguing to me. I want to share it with you. Today, I am thankful for so many things. This Saturday is Jonah Bowen Day. Seven years ago, Jonah's adoption was finalized. That seems so long ago. First off, I am thankful to God for having an incredible plan that only he could have put into motion. So many pieces that made this possible. I'm thankful to Doug and Jamie who thought of us when they knew of a birth mom looking for a family to adopt her unborn son. I'm thankful for Jonah's birth mom for wanting to give him a better life than she could provide. I'm thankful for our adoption coordinator, Mary. It was Mary who was with us every step of the way. I'm also thankful to Mary for recommending our adoption lawyer, Tim. I cannot say enough about how blessed we were to have Tim. His experience with the adoption system and the right way to do things, including knowing an adoption-friendly judge, made the process much smoother than it could have been. Every step that Tim said we would do and why we were doing it that way was exactly why we needed to do it that way. He had the exact goal in sight and knew what the steps were to get it accomplished. I'm thankful for all the support of family and friends through the entire process. The amount of prayer that made this all possible is beyond our understanding. I am thankful for all those who prayed for us during the process. I could not imagine all that God has done in these past seven plus years since Jonah was born and we brought him home from the hospital. Yes, there have been challenges and struggles, but God is guiding us every step of the way. Thank you, Lord God, for your blessing and changing our lives with your amazing plan as we mark this February 25th. I am thankful. Interesting post. Here's what resonated with me from it. As soon as I, I read it, it, it just seemed to really grab hold of me. I have read a lot of happy birthday messages from parents to their children on Facebook. They might write just simply, happy birthday, Jonah, or we're proud of you, Jonah. And they might even go into a few of the reasons that they're proud of their sons or daughters for what they have done. But I don't remember reading one post, not one, through the years that I've been on Facebook where a birth family recorded the events of the birth seven years after it happened of their children. I don't remember them saying, oh, happy birthday, Jonah. I remember all 47 hours of labor with you. I remember the ice chips that I got to eat. I remember what it was like decorating the nursery. I remember what it was like when we went out and bought the first clothes and the first stuffed animal. I don't remember seeing that anywhere. But adoptive parents seem to hold on to the details of that adoption right below the surface the entire life of their child. They remember every detail of it. They remember every struggle. They remember every challenge. They remember the expense of it, both financially, physically, emotionally. They remember everything about how that child came into their home. It's a unique difference between birth parents and adoptive parents. One is not better than the other. It's just a truly unique difference. 
Adoptive parents will tell the story different than birth parents do. I find it intriguing at times just to listen to those stories, much like John's. I like to hear the details. I like to hear how it all came about. But here's what I know through the whole process of adoption. The real strength and power of the foundation of adoption is not found in humans adopting humans. Not at all. The real strength and power that makes the foundation of adoption is found in God adopting humans. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. The real strength and power that becomes the foundation of adoption is found in how God adopts humans. You may not realize this, but if you are a child of God, you are adopted by Him. And He has never forgotten, not ever, the details of how that happened. Now you may say, hold it, I didn't know I was adopted. Don't believe me, I want you to believe the Bible. So let's go together to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. It's there that we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, listen, so that we might receive an adoption as sons. I might add to that, and daughters. There's the story of your adoption. In essence, this is what God was saying. When the fullness of time had come, when the time was right, and that was 4,000 years into human history, God sent His Son through a woman to become the Savior of the world. When the time was right, when it was perfect, God said, now I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the price to redeem all of mankind, to welcome these folks, these young men and women, these old men and women into my family as my children, and I will give them a full standing in my kingdom as heirs, as sons and daughters. We are all adopted. That's what God did for us. Isn't that a great story? It really is. That's what God did for us. And remember that one of the underlying stories of adoption that oftentimes gets left out in the details is the extreme expense that is associated with adoption. In physical adoption as well as spiritual adoption, there is an extreme expense that is attached to it. In our case, the expense required the death of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to live on this earth as a man for 33 years. Then He was murdered on a cross, buried in a grave, and three days later, He came out of that grave. That's what it cost. Jesus had to die that you might be adopted, that I might be adopted. That was the expense. It's huge. Maybe that's why the Bible tells us that when a person gives their life to Christ, when they become a child of God, they're baptized into relationship with Him, there's a party in heaven. Listen to this. It's Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When somebody is adopted by God, heaven breaks into a party. Now, we might think of that as a birthday party, but really, it's an adoption party. It's a celebration because God is remembering every detail and every expense necessary to make that happen, and the angels celebrate. That's another cool part of the story. Those of us that have been adopted by Him, that happened on our behalf, on our behalf. 
the angels were singing, celebrating, and praising God for what he had done. I love that part of the story. Now, this idea of adoption may have resonated more with the people that were alive during the time that it was all written than it does today, even though we still understand all the details of adoption. Those details are simple. A man and a wife decide that they want to bring a child into their home, so they go to the furthest extent, financial and legal, to make that happen, and they bring that child in. They welcome them into their home. They give them a full standing in their house as children, as heirs to their home. But during the days that the Bible was being written, Roman law took it a step further. It was all covered under what they referred to as the law of the father's power. The law of the father's power said that in every family, the father had ultimate authority over everything. And as long as he was alive, that authority remained in place, even with his adult children. So under the law of the father's power, if a man looked, let's just say, at his firstborn son and said, I am disappointed with the way he is handling himself, the way that he is doing things. He does not seem to have the skills, the abilities, or even the interest in taking over my estate, becoming the representative of our family, or carrying on my business. If that father said that about his firstborn son, he had the right under the law of the father's power to go out into all of the community and see if there was another boy or young man that was available for adoption. Then he could bring them into his home, legally adopt him, and put him in charge of everything if he wanted to. That was part of the law of the father's power. Now, there were some things that had to happen in order for that to take place. First and foremost, if they had entered into that adoption relationship, all of the legal and social standing of the adoptee would be completely thrown away, which means they would be severed from their former family completely. The second thing that would happen is they would be fully ingrained in the new family. They would be given access to everything within their new family. Without question, they had full standing with the entire family. They had full authority. Third thing is really quite interesting because remember, the law of the father's power carried over even to adult children. So if he brought another adult into his home and adopted them, then all of the financial and, well, legal situations that existed in the adoptee's life prior to the point of adoption would be taken care of by the adoptive father. They would just be dismissed. The debts would be paid. If there were debts associated with that person's life, be it by their own choice or the choice of their birth parents, they would be eradicated by the adoptive father. Now, here's the fourth thing, and this is really important. In order for all of this to happen, it required seven witnesses, seven people that would validate the relationship after the adoptive father was gone. So if he put this new adoptive son in charge of his household and then he died and the other siblings wanted to bring suit against him, those seven witnesses would stand up and say, no, I was there. I saw it all happen. He is the rightful adopted child of so-and-so. Those seven witnesses validated the relationship. Now, when we apply that idea of the witnesses to our walk with Christ, it is precisely why the Bible says this. If you're still in the book of Luke, just turn over to chapter 12 with me. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's why witnesses are necessary in our relationship with Christ. Now, obviously, the Bible tells us that if we will acknowledge Jesus before men, he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. But Jesus is not the only witness necessary. There are also the human witnesses that are necessary, that are necessary in our relationship with Christ. We have to have other people that will validate the relationship. They're the ones that will say, I was there when he was baptized. I was there when she accepted Christ. I was there to see that they are walking with the Lord, that they consciously made that choice. Those witnesses matter in your adoption as a son or daughter of God. It's one of the reasons that I have a big problem when people preach and offer an invitation that sounds something like this. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me? And then if you'll raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed, you raise your hand and you'll become a Christian. Well, where in the world are the witnesses in that? Who is going to be able to validate what you did? Everybody around you had their heads bowed and their eyes closed. There are no witnesses. Listen to this. This is me on my soapbox, so dismiss it if you want to. But if you are willing to accept the gift of God's grace unto salvation, you ought to be willing to stand up and do it. That's just the way it should be. So if you ever hear me offer an invitation where I said, bow your heads, close your eyes, and raise your hands, know that I have left the reservation. Best way to say it. Witnesses matter. There was a time in the Christian church, our brotherhood of churches, that after a person was baptized, the entire church would break into a song. Might be familiar to some of you, at least the chorus will be. Here's the the words of the, the verses. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to him. Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed from my sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to him. Those words may not touch your heart, but if you have a long time history in the church, then listen to the words of the chorus. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. We sang songs like that because it was a witness to what had happened. We sang songs like that when the church was responding to what people had done, that we might stand with other people and say, no, it's real. That relationship is real. We sang the song. We saw what happened. It was real. Witnesses like that matter. The relationship itself matters. And when we understand all of that, we will discover something really special. God gives us a new prayer, a new way of approaching Him, different than the way we might have approached Him prior to becoming a believer. It is the believer's prayer. I want to show it to you. It's back in the book of Galatians where we started, Galatians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Because you are sons, 
God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Now, let's stop here for just a second. There's another witness at work in our relationship with Christ. Jesus is there to witness what has happened. We have a whole bunch of people that witness what has happened. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses that we are a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. And the Holy Spirit speaks not only to God, but speaks to us to validate the relationship. And look at what he says to us. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Holy Spirit gives every believer a new way to approach God. A new prayer. Non-believers don't have access to this. Non-Christians can't use it. It is a believer's prayer given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. It is a familiar term attached to God. It is a prayer term that allows us to approach Him in an informal way. It shows up three times in the New Testament. Let me show you one of those others right now, found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, if you want to turn over there with me, we'll start in verse 14. Bible starts, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified in Him. Here's what we discover in that. Not only are we adopted, but in that adoption, we receive the prayer that we have longed for. You may have found yourself saying, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and it's just like God isn't hearing me. He's not responding to me. Well, maybe you're praying the prayers of the unsaved. Start praying the prayers of the saved. You start into the Abba Father prayer and value the relationship. It is an informal prayer that allows you to approach God in a brand new way. For the longest time, I have heard people refer to Abba as the word daddy. And that's a pretty good equation of it. It is that informal. When we cry out, Abba, Father, it's as if we are saying daddy. We are approaching him within the relationship. It removes the formality of it. Now, here's the way that that it makes sense in my mind. When our kids were very small, we taught them to call adults Mr. and Mrs. and then put their last name in there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So if that was, if that was with Robert, we would teach our children to refer to him as Mr. Lethrude. That's how they were taught growing up. And a lot of you did the same thing. It's polite. It was respectful. It, it just worked. But because they grew up in the church, the sons of the preacher and daughter of the preacher, that was difficult. They had hundreds of adults around them all the time. Some were formal relationships, but others they just grew up with. They had a different relationship. Both of my boys grew up in hunting camps with different men in this church. 
And this whole thing is illustrated beautifully there. Nick, our oldest son, went on his first hunting trip with Richard Kendall when he was 10 years old. We went on a pheasant hunting trip in Washington. Richard, do you remember going on that trip? And so Nick went up, was talking to Richard, because Nick and Richard just kind of have this bond that has existed since he was 10. He went up, was talking to Richard, and the first thing he said to him was, Mr. Kendall. And Richard, without missing a beat, stopped right there and said, Nick, you can call me Richard. And from that point forward, that's exactly what he has called him. He refers to him as Richard. They have that relationship. It's different than the Mr. Kendall relationship. It's the Richard relationship. He has that same type of thing with Brian. He spent his whole life hunting with Brian or his whole hunting life hunting with Brian. He doesn't call Brian Mr. Stewart. He refers to him as Brian, whether he's talking to him face to face or whether he is talking about him. That's Brian. Danny Brossman, to our boys and to our daughter, is Danny. Sharon is Sharon. And it isn't just in those hunting situations. They grew up riding horses with different people as well. And and as a result of that, there's this informal relationship. John Basham sitting in the back. Nick and Eli have ridden horses with John a number of different times. They don't refer to John as Mr. Basham. John, wouldn't that be weird? (laughs) They, They call him John. They call him John because that's the relationship. God's telling us we have that same relationship. It isn't formal. Lose the Mr. God idea and let's start talking. Here's maybe another way that'll make sense for you. We were talking with Eli, our youngest son, not too long ago. I said, Eli, you're 20 years old now. You know what that means? We talked about all kinds of different things. I said, well, one of the things that that has now happened in your life, because you're 20 years old, if something happens to your mother and I, you don't have to go live with, and I told him who we had made arrangements to raise our children in the event that something catastrophic happened to us. He said, what are you talking about, Dad? I said, well, if something had happened to myself and your mother, if we were killed in a car wreck, plane crash, whatever, and you guys were left on your own until you got to this age, these are the folks who would have taken care of you. Eli said, well, that would have never happened. And I said, oh, yeah? Why is that? He said, there is no way I would have gone and lived with them. I said, really? Well, what would you have done? This just made me smile, still makes me smile. He said, I would have taken my blanket and pillow over to Deanie and Beth's, and I would have stayed with them. (laughs) That was his plan. I will take my pillow and my blanket, and I'm going to Deanie and Beth's. You know why he said that? Because they grew up at Deanie and Beth's house. When Tina and I were gone, they stayed with Deanie and Beth a lot. When we were off doing this or that, Deanie and Beth were taking care of them. They had experiences at their house, out at the lake with them, all kinds of different experiences with Deanie and Beth. You know what really struck me is this. He didn't say I would have taken my blanket and my pillow and gone over to Mr. and Mrs. Burns' house. I'd go to Deanie and Beth's. That's the relationship. They told them a long time ago, you can call us Deanie and Beth. It's the relationship. That's what the Bible's teaching right here. The believers, the adopted children of God, have the Abba Father relationship with Him. Lose the formality in your prayer life and get to a place where you're just talking to God, where the relationship is what matters. Start praying within the relationship and it will transform your prayer life. God gave you this gift. He told you at the moment that you became his adopted child that you are welcome in my home. You do not have to call me Mr. God. You don't have to talk to me that way. You have access to me as Abba Father. 
Now, that whole idea of daddy, and I, I do believe it's pretty accurate, it's the informalness of it, has always been a struggle for me, and it's just my own personal struggle. I don't believe anybody else should have this struggle. It's just been a personal struggle for me to think in terms of calling God daddy. That's just been difficult and unnatural for me. I spent some time these past couple of weeks really thinking through why that is, and, and this is what came into my mind. I used to call my dad daddy when I was small. He was daddy. But as I grew up, I moved out of the daddy relationship, and he became dad to me. Now, that's just in my world. That is not necessarily true for everybody else. He became dad to me. As I have gotten older, there has been another shift in our relationship, and I find it very intriguing, and I hadn't really put it all together until these past few weeks. Today, more often than not, I call him Pop. If I call him on the phone, I'll say, hey, Pop, what's going on? So we're talking about different things. What have you been up to, Pop? What have you been doing? It's just the friendship side of our relationship, and my dad is a great friend of mine. So for me to be able to talk to him that way, there's a new name that's attached to it. But I also find myself from time to time going back to dad. When I'm speaking to him as my father, I will use dad. When I speak to him as my friend, it comes out as pop. Now that's just a weird little thing that happens for me. But that is more comfortable in my relationship with him. And in some ways, I believe even in my relationship with God. So I started looking at the Abba Father prayer and realizing for me there's an uncomfortableness to the daddy idea. And again, just for me, I hope that isn't true for everybody, just for me. My daughter, by the way, calls me daddy and it warms my heart all the time. If my boys called me daddy, I'd think they'd lost their minds. So there's just differences in all those types of relationships. There's a guy named Larry Crabb who wrote a book called The Papa Prayer. And he says that in the Abba Father idea, Papa is what comes out. It's a relational term, a relational title. And he takes the word Papa, the name Papa, and breaks it down to help us understand how to pray that type of a prayer, an Abba Father prayer or a Papa prayer. Let me show you how he does it. He starts with the P. He says, we present ourselves, or in his words, present yourself to God without pretense. Be a real person in the relationship. Tell him whatever is going on inside you that you can identify. Then he uses the A to say, attest to how you are thinking of God. Again, no pretending. Ask yourself, how am I experiencing God right now? Is he a vending machine, a frowning father, a distant cold force? Or is he your gloriously strong but intimate Papa? P. Purge yourself of anything blocking your relationship with God. Put into words whatever makes you uncomfortable or embarrassed when you're real in your relationship with him. How are you thinking about yourself, more about yourself and your satisfaction than about anyone else, including God and his pleasure And the last day? Approach God as the first thing in your life, as your most valuable treasure, the person you most want to know. Admit that other people and things really do matter more to you right now, but you long to want God so much that every other good thing in your life becomes a second thing desire. The Papa prayer. It's a good way to do it. Just by using it as an acrostic and plugging in those ideas, it's a great way to go about it. Which, by the way, Jesus used that whole idea. I told you that there were three places in Scripture where the Papa prayer shows up or the Abba Father prayer shows up. The last one I want you to see is from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 14, verse 36. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he will die on the cross. It is a dark time in his life, and he chooses to pray. And I want you to hear how he prays. 
verse 36 of chapter 14. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In this moment where he needed God more than ever, when he needed his Father, he used the Abba prayer. Jesus patterned it so that we could learn from him. The disciples would say, Lord, teach us to pray. We have said those same types of words repeatedly. Lord, teach us to pray. And we expect him to. Well, the truth is he has. All through the Gospels, he has taught us to pray. And right here, he teaches us how the Abba prayer works. Lord, I'm I'm in a bad place. I need you. I need you. If it is possible to not have to go through this, then Lord, you take care of it. But if it is, then I, I will, but I need you. It's that place where we tell the Lord exactly what's going on. And it's the name we use to establish the relationship that he might hear us. It's the believer's prayer. And it works. Larry Crabb goes on to describe it this way. Here's what I'm realizing. Coming to God in this way creates a space in me that the Spirit always fills. Always I may not know it's happening, but it is. Like nature, the Spirit always fills a vacuum. But we're so busy filling our emptiness, there's not much of a vacuum for Him to fill. That's why narcissists never meet God. They're too busy trying to fill themselves. It's a good way of understanding it. The Abba Father prayer is that place where we say, Lord, I'm empty. I'm just empty. And I need you. And God always fills it. Always. He always responds to our needs. We have to trust it. When we do, here's what we will find. We can begin to share with God our joys. We can talk to Him about the good things that are happening. We can talk to Him about all kinds of different things in our lives. Show you how that works again just with our children. When Nick, our oldest son, shot his first deer, he couldn't wait to get home and get on the phone and call some people. Brian, do you remember him calling you and telling you that he had just shot his first deer? That's that same thing with God and that Abba relationship. We can say, Lord, this is what's happening. It's good. <laughs> Thank you. We can also share with him our struggles. We can cry with God in the Abba relationship and hurt with him and know that he will respond. It's very personal. For the last eight weeks or so, we've been talking about prayer, and you can take all the things that, that we have talked about, all the things that we have explored with one another, which if you weren't here for all of that, you can get the CDs or you can listen online, you can hear all of those things, but know this, they all culminate with the idea of the Abba Father prayer. They come together right here. We just have to learn how to pray this way. When we do, God responds. I want to invite you to Stand and pray with me now. Father, I, I will never stop being amazed at how you teach us. I don't believe I could ever stop being amazed at the depth of the Bible or the depth of the relationship that is available to us with you. Thank you for both. I pray, Father, that you'll continue to inspire us in, in the ways that we need. Lord, I'm... I'm also praying now for people that have not tapped this relationship. They can't pray Abba Father prayers because they're not believers. Would you change that today? Would you let this be the day of salvation for them? 
And Father, start them on a journey that will take them places they, they didn't even know existed. Help them discover that. I'm praying as well, Lord, for your children that have never made themselves at home in your home, your house, your kingdom. I pray that that will change. They'll lose the formality and understand the Abba relationship. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.